I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to be using this passage, these few verses, to introduce to us the book of Hebrews. So ultimately, we're going to the book of Hebrews, and that's where we're going to spend uh, the length of our time uh, in the future. But by way of introduction, just to introduce that book, we want to look at this passage, at what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 22, down to verse 24. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, but Greeks seek for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for just lifting our hearts up to you just with through the music today. It's always enjoyable. It's always good. Um, but Lord, there's nothing like your word that to draw us to yourself. Lord, I pray that that would happen today, that we would understand these these words, this passage, understand, get a, a broader view and understanding of the book of Hebrews. Lord, that that would draw us to you. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we love your Son, Jesus Christ, and understand what he has done for us. Bless as we unpack this passage and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Jewish nation has been in the news lately uh, since the attack from Hamas. And what I think is just shocking to me is the animosity to the toward the Jews the anti-semitic uh the, the hatred that is there that that they are they're just the enemy they have been the enemy through the ages satan is still at work there's so many people that still hate them and that's amazing to me um that that this animosity can go on so long they're one of the oldest people groups and they're one of the only ones that have survived the ancient days um, that we still have for us today. And, and we know why, because they are God's chosen people. In fact, we're, we see in the passage that was read for us earlier that, that God has a future for Israel. They are God's chosen people. But when you look at them today, you would not think that. And they, they seem to be persecuted more than any other people group. There's a problem there. There's some issue there. And Paul, he kind of gives us an indication of what that problem is. He actually states it plainly that Jews are going to have a problem with the gospel. More specifically, with with Christ, he calls Christ the stumbling block. A stumbling block. In the passage that was read for us earlier, uh, Romans chapter 11, if you read the next verse, verse 25, he says that there's a, a partial hardening that has happened with Israel. There, there's a blindness that is taking place on Israel right now where they do not see their own Redeemer. They don't understand Christ. Christ is an anomaly to them. They just cannot figure Him out. They can't put Him in a place. And there's a, there's a hardening that's gone on. 
There is, there are, uh, Paul states here that, that, that they don't care so much about the, the wisdom, the Gentiles seek wisdom, the, the, the Gentiles and the Greeks, they seek logic and science and prove. The Jews want a sign from God. They have the right God. And they sense that. In fact, Judaism is the foundation for Christianity, as was stated in Romans chapter 11. Uh, and in fact, we are, Ephesians chapter 2, we are grafted in. Romans chapter 11, same thing. We, we share the same Old Testament that they do. We share the same God that they do. We share much of the same theology that they do. And yet, it's hard for them to accept Christ. He is a stumbling block. And that marks them out. Different, a little bit different from the, the Gentiles and the Greeks. They, they want a sign. They're marked out as, as God's people and, and they struggle with their identity. They struggle with who they are and that their identity at this, at this point. And they need Christ. They need Christ. When you share the gospel with them, they're, they're going to struggle over who Christ was. And Paul is not saying that they will not be saved. That the Jews are not going to respond to the gospel, uh, but very few of them will. And certainly, as a nation, they're not going to do that yet. We have a, a missionary that we support here at Daniel's Bible Church that has targeted the Jews in and around the D.C. area, Charles and June Furrow. Furrow uh, wonderful couple. He's a docent at the Holocaust Museum. And he's constantly evangelizing. So what do we do with this? The Jews, they, they have a problem. They're stumbling over Christ, who Christ is. But what, what do we do with that? In verse 23, it's amazing to me what Paul says to do. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. We just keep on preaching Christ. We elevate Christ. They, they may stumble over it, but we preach Christ to those who hear. We preach Christ to those who who stumble over Him. We still preach Christ and let God work in the heart of those whom He will call. And in a world, in a Christianity that, that seeks to, to just the, the, to have gimmicks to, to grow their church, and church strategies that manipulate people into the kingdom and, and to uh, be like the world in order to, to win the world. Folks, the only way we will win the world is through the preaching of Christ. We just keep preaching Christ. We keep preaching Christ. Now, that's the sentiment of the book of Hebrews. You have to understand that. That's the, that's the, the throb, uh, the heart throb of the author of the book of Hebrews. Preaching and exalting Christ. But it's also dealing with this Jewish problem. So go ahead and turn over to the book of Hebrews. We'll look at, we'll look at uh, various passages in here. Just by way of introduction, I, I just want us to, to get an overview of this book. And I want to ask questions. As we move through uh, just some questions, I, I hope that you'll get an understanding of, of the, the emphasis and the, 
the point and the purpose of this book. The title of it, you see right away, is the, the letter to the Hebrews. That is the Jewish people. Um, that's the, the nation of Israel, or, or just the, the scattered Jews that are seem to be all over. But the, the, it is written distinctly to the Jewish community. It assumes that, that uh, you know the Jewish history, that you know the Jewish God, that you, uh, uh, that you are uh, aware of the book of, specifically the book of Leviticus. But he also exalts Christ because that's what the Jewish people need, the greatest need of the Jewish people. Now, because it's written to the Jewish people, well, there's a, a couple reasons. It, this is a, a very difficult book, and, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, it's just it's hard for us to understand the historical context. So we need to, to know some of the historical context, the time in which the, the book was written, the culture, the language, the history, the, the Jewish religion, what was going on at the, at the time. And then also the, the ceremonial uh, symbols of the temple and the priesthood, the, the elements of sacrifice and the sacrificial system. We need to, we need to understand that. And in fact, we need to really understand to, to understand the book of Hebrews, you need to understand the book of Leviticus going back in the Old Testament and that Levitical system. But it's a difficult, one of the most difficult passages, one of the most difficult books in the New Testament for us to understand. So we need a kind of a lengthy introduction here, and that's what I want to do. Now, it's written, obviously, after Christ has ascended, uh, after the, the church had been established, but before 70 A.D., after, uh, before, the, church, before uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., so uh, probably within 35 to 40 years of, uh, after the church was established, um, the people that it was written to, I'm sorry, the, the author, the authorship is unknown to us. Some say it was Paul. Certainly he would have been, had the right credentials for that. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He was, he had mastered the Old Testament. He was a, a walking, uh, seminary. He had, it was a very learned man. So he could have very well written this book and, and and directed it toward the, the Jewish people. But this, this is just not the style of Paul. When you look at the vocabulary, um, and, and there's no personal references here, there's no pattern that Paul would have, have used. It just doesn't uh, read like a Pauline letter. Some would say Peter wrote it. But that's just speculation. We don't know who wrote it, except we do know who wrote it. It was under the authorship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the book of, of Hebrews. And the author wanted to remain anonymous, which is appropriate, isn't it? Because the, the theme is the, the preeminence of Christ and everything else falls uh, along the wayside. Everything else is, is really of no importance. The, the author here is not important. It's the preeminence of Christ. Christ must be exalted. And that's the Jewish problem. Christ, the stumbling block. And the church at that time needed to hear this letter. 
And I believe the church of our day needs to hear this letter. We need to go through and understand this book. We need this letter today. Now, what did the, the Jewish, what was the Jewish mindset here? Let me give you a few things that the Jews got right. The Jews got right. First thing, they had the right God, right? They understood that. And there was a fear of God. That was really the amazing part. To the, uh, the, the Jewish God, to the Jews, God, this is a God that was unapproachable. He was a, a God to be feared. He is a God of, of wrath. Exodus chapter 33 verse 20 says that no man can see God and live. He is a dangerous God. They understood that he was a, a dangerous God. They had heard the stories. They had heard the stories of the, the mountain that was, was on fire. It would quake. And so much so that they said, Moses, we don't want to stand close to the mountain. You go onto the mountain. We're not going to go up there. They heard the stories of Nadab and Abihu offering uh, strange worship to the Lord and being struck dead. They heard the stories of the, the poisonous snakes that came along and, and killed thousands of people. They heard the stories of Korah's rebellion against Moses and the ground just opening up. This is a powerful God. They, they heard the story of, of Achan's sin. One little sin and thousands of people were killed because of that sin. So there was a high respect for this God. They understood who they were dealing with. This was a God that was a dangerous God. He was a holy God. And they could not come into His presence unless sin had been dealt with. They understood that. They understood His wrath. And there was a conviction, I believe, within the Jewish people that, that there was a respect, a reverence for God that we don't see today. We're on this side. We see a God of grace. But folks, He is a God of wrath as well. We need to keep that in mind. But they had the conviction that this is a God to be taken seriously. That God that can take your life in an instant. They also had right the, the source of truth. The source of truth. They knew that their, their revelation was directly, uh, came directly from God Himself through Moses, the prophet. So they had the right source of truth. So if we would have come and said, hey, let me present truth with you, uh, to you, they would have said, hey, we've got the truth. And so you can understand the stumbling block here. They, they had portions right. They, they had this right, but they were stumbling over these things as well. They had conviction that there was no more truth that needed to be had other than the Old Testament. There's one other thing they had right, and that was worship. They had right that, that, that the fact that God had instituted a sacrificial system. That blood had to be shed. Sin had to be dealt with in order to restore a relationship with God. So that, so that God could come down and live among His, His people. So that He could be their God and they would be His people. And that was a continuous process because they knew sin happened all the time. It was in, uh, in, uh, it was constant sin. Um, in fact, it was essentially hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they, they were aware of their sinfulness. And even as a, a nation, the, the priest 
at least once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. And uh, that was a, a sacred thing, a scary thing, because they knew that if he had sin in his life, he could be put to death at at that moment. And so they would tie uh, bells around the tassels and, and tassels around his uh, his apron so they could hear movement. If they the movement stopped, then, then there would be... Uh, they would have to question, is he still alive? They would tie a rope to around his leg. If, if uh, he were to die in there, they could pull him out. This was serious stuff. And they took this seriously. And they trusted, they learned to trust the process, this process of sacrificing day in and day out. This incessant offering of the blood of bulls and goats. So they had that right. This was, this was the way to God that sin had to be dealt with. It was through the sacrificial system, the temple, the, the sacrifice of animals, of, of doves and bulls and goats and lambs. They had to have priests. and they had to have the Holy of Holies. So Christ comes along and says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. They're going to stumble. They're going to say, you mean this whole sacrificial system is, is null and void? And Christ would say, yes, I am the way. And we know that these, these elements of the sacrificial system were just an, an outward act, an outward sign of, of an inward reality, an inward repentant heart sacrificing before God, acknowledging sin and acknowledging their repentance before God and asking for forgiveness. I like what John MacArthur says at this point. He says, through the Levitical priesthood, sacrifices were made to symbolize atonement for sin. This is a symbol, the atonement for sin. It's not the reality, it was just a a symbol. He goes on to say, in order that the barrier might be taken down and there might be access to God. Folks, we take that for granted today, don't we? We just cry out to the Lord anytime we want. I mentioned that the earlier that the church was founded upon Israel, the same God, same theology. Now, when the early church was established, they struggled over this. This was there's a lot of confusion, and we need to understand that. Keep that in mind. There was a lot of confusion at that time. A lot of questions that would have come to mind. How much of the Jewish culture then do you bring over into the church? And the Jews gave up a lot of their culture or their culture to become Christians. Many of the Jews did. And and it still raises the, the question of what about the rules of the Old Testament brought over, pulled over to our time? And then the, the culture. I mean, do, are we Messianic Jews? Do we have to become Jews in order to, to, to uh, accept this Messiah, to become a Christian? Do we still wear the yarmulke? Do we still have the, the Sabbath day, the, the temple, the the Seder meal and the early church. These are questions that were swirling around. And, uh, they had to have a, a Jerusalem council. They pulled all the godly men together in uh, AD 45 and, or AD 50 and, and they came together and, and they uh, considered these things. Can, 
Can the non-Jew become a Christian? Can the non-Jew be brought into the church? And, and the idea was, yes, absolutely. Circumcision was not necessary for salvation. They did not have to become a proselyte. It was a, a whole new, essentially a whole new religion. And But what we see here is, is part of that, that purpose here in the book of, uh, part of the purpose of the book of, of Hebrews is to deal with that issue, Jew and, and Gentile, uh, to, to confront those, those Jews who had been born again with the fact that, that uh, he or she could, could come uh, into the presence of God and they needed to let go of their Judaism. They needed to let go of their uh, Judaistic practices and, and trappings of Judaism, the J- Jewish religion. And we take it for granted today, but the whole the Jews, they, they had to give up their culture to become a Christian. Ruth did that. Remember if you look, remember back in the Old Testament, Ruth, she said... Uh, my, your people will be my people, and my people will be, will be your people, and my, your God will be my God, and my God will be your God, and where you go, I will go. And they had to become, they had to become Jewish. And, and now we're telling the Jews to, to, to give up their Jewishness and become Christians. And so we can begin to see the, the Jewish problem, the stumbling block that is there. But you know what? We still preach Christ. Christ crucified. Now what do we know about the audience? I want to spend some time on the audience. Just some general observations here. From within the text. Because it's within the text that uh, Scripture is going to compare with Scripture. And we're going to, we're going to uh, interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. First of all, this is a church that probably was planted by one of the apostles. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 3, in the middle of the verse he says, after it was, this is talking about the gospel, after it had, uh, it at the first spoke through the Lord, so that's the Lord Jesus Christ, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. So, so one of the apostles heard the Lord Jesus Christ and it was then brought to them. Second-hand information to them. They didn't know Christ directly, but probably one of the apostles. And that gives us some indication of, of the location that this is, this was a, a local church specific people group that he's talking about, at least a specific area. Some say in the area of Greece, maybe one of the apostles had gone and established a church there. But that's just interesting. Another interesting fact is in chapter 10, in verse 32, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, that's the that's salvation in, uh, informed by the gospel, you endured a great conflict of suffering. In verse 34, this is a, gives you the nature of this suffering. For you shared sympathy to the prisoners. So, so there was some suffering going on there. We'll talk about that. Persecution going on. And they were sympathetic to the prisoners, those who were suffering because of, of Christ. They were put in prison. 
And also they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property, of your property. So some had suffered to the point that they had their, their property confiscated because they had become Christians, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. So they had suffered because of, of Christ. They had suffered because of, of uh, taking the name of Christ. Now, it was probably as a result of these Judaizers. These Judaizers who essentially chased Paul all over the, the world. Every city that he would go into, he would preach in the synagogues. They would, uh, there would be some who would believe, but then the majority of them would be, uh, would attack Paul, beat him up, throw him out of the city, and then they would chase him from one city to the next city. They hated him, these Judaizers. Because they were saying, no, Paul, you're messing up the, the truth. They have to become proselytes, these Gentiles that are coming in. And they were encouraging the church at that time to come back to, come back to the old covenant, come back to the Levitical system, to the priesthood, to the temple, come back to what they knew. And uh, so these Judaizers were probably infiltrated this church. And uh, so, but... And, and so some of them probably suffered, you know, according to this verse, they, some of them suffered as a result of, of uh, them becoming Christians. Some of the land was taken. But also another thing that we need to, to know about, just an observation, chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to know milk and not solid food. So the author is saying here, by this time, you should be more mature than you really are in your faith. So that gives indication that this church has been in existence long enough for, to produce mature believers, but yet they're still babes. Now, it could be because of these, these Judaizers that were just... Uh, confusing the the whole issue, and and so the author feels need for to uh, to write these things. But this was a a real problem. It, it could be because there was a lack of motivation, because the author addresses their motivation. Maybe it's a lack of model. They didn't have the right modeling going on there. But there was there were some immature believers here. And we don't we don't know who they were. We don't know where they were. If that was important, the Holy Spirit would, of course, given that and put that in the in the text. But what is important is the message, and that again is the preeminence of Christ. He comes back to Christ constantly, coming back to Christ in this passage, in this book. Now, one last question is: What is the spiritual condition? And we need to know this. What is the spiritual condition? This is going to help us in interpreting this, this book. There's three groups that we need to know about. First of all is that there are, there are Jewish Christians. And we've already alluded to this in chapter 5 and verse 11. It's concerning him, we have much to say to you. And it is, that's Christ, we have much to say to you. Uh, it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You're, you're not very mature, and we would like to teach you a lot more, but, but you're, you need milk and not mature meat. 
verse, uh, verse 14, he says, that for solid, but solid food is for the mature who, uh, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You, you're just not mature. You're not ready to handle some of the deeper things. Here, so there was there were some Christians there. It's probably the majority of the Christians there, uh, in within the church. They were true believers, but they had, and they had come out of Judaism. They had laid that aside. They understood that, but they were they were probably weak Christians in the fact that they they lack confidence in the gospel, lack confidence in the gospel. Again, MacArthur says they were they're still hung up on on the temple, on the priesthood, on this worship and sacrificial system. In fact, we would call them in other places, Paul would call them, uh, in Romans chapter 14, he would call them weaker brothers. They were the still part of the congregation who is still saying these, are, these things are unclean and unclean and unclean. And they were calling unclean what God had already sanctified, what God had called clean. They were weaker brothers who would put them in that category, but they were saved. They were, they were not very mature, but they were, they were Christians. And the danger there and the, the, what the author addresses here, the danger is them looking back. The danger is not so much them losing their salvation at this point, but it's the, it's the confusion of the gospel, confusing the gospel with this uh, Jewish uh, ceremonies and the, the legalism and the, the Jewish faith, or Jewish religion. And this book is, and so the author addresses that, and he wants to give them confidence to they these floundering believers can flourish, they can grow and mature, and they can be assured with with the credentials that Christ has, and that's what he goes through. And folks, we have a lot of people like that in the church today who have just weak Christians. They, they're not confident in the gospel. They, they, they know, but they, the world keeps pulling them back or tugging at them. They, they, they keep flirting with the world. We seem to have a Christianity that is being pulled back today. Another group, though, number two, another, another group that would be in this church is the Jewish non-Christian. The Jewish non-Christian. There were people in the, the church that he addresses that intellectually they knew the truth, but they were, had just not committed themselves yet. If you look at Gen, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, for in the case of of those who have once been enlightened. So, so they, they have been informed of the gospel. They know the truth of the gospel. In fact, they probably accepted the truth and believed the truth of the gospel and have tasted the heavenly gifts and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tested or tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again. Boy, that's pretty strong language there. These are, these are people who know the truth that, that uh, have not accepted yet. And he patiently deals with those. And he will see, when we move through this uh, book, we'll see him dealing with them to, to 
encourage them and to warn them of the danger that they are in, that they need to commit themselves to Christ. They had heard and believed the stories about Christ, but they had not yet committed. This would be in the category of the dead faith that, that James talks about, a faith that does not work. They believe, but they, they, their belief isn't, isn't acted out in their life. It's not, it's not true belief, not true faith. They just will not follow. So they know Christ is. They understand that. But they just refuse to follow. And James puts them into the category of an unbeliever. And so does the book of Hebrews as well, the author of Hebrews. The double-minded person. Christ is to be believed, but he is also to be followed. And there's a warning here. There's warnings throughout this book. They come so far intellectually, but then they reject following Christ. They're like the the rich young ruler who who says, I've done all of those things. And then he, he goes away because he's not willing to follow Christ, sell all that he has and follow Christ. They, they know the truth, but they do not have a relationship with God. They're not following. They refuse to submit to his lordship. They refuse to submit to his will. And that's a danger. And the, the author of Hebrews addresses that people group. Number three, there's Jewish unbelievers. There are people that were attached to the church that were skeptics. That hadn't accepted Christ. They maybe didn't understand or, or know so much. They, they were curious. They were interested, attached themselves to, uh, the, the things of the Lord, but, but still they were just, they were skeptics here. In chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that, the judgment. And the author of Hebrews addresses them, and he addresses them evangelistically. And again, he's exalting Christ. Christ must be exalted. And he presents the gospel so well here. Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. Christ is to be, is the better way. And the author addresses these three people groups here. The, the saved, the, the unsaved that were aware intellectually and knew intellectually but weren't following Christ. And then the, the unsaved skeptic. The, the Jewish, the author here addresses these people. And we need to keep those things in mind when interpreting these passages. Each one of these passages need to be interpreted in light of those things. But the main focus, the one message, is Christ himself. Now, just briefly, I want to give you my goal. What I want you to take away from the book of, of Hebrews. And it'll take us, it'll take us a while to go through this book, Right? You know that. I'm very slow and methodical. We'll go through verse by verse. And I'm just giving you an overview. But here's what I'd like to see. Number one. I want us to come away from this book with a greater understanding of who Christ is. Who Christ is and what He has done. What He has accomplished for us. Folks, we live in a time of anxiety. Anxiety is high. It's incredibly high. It's amazing to me of just the anxiety and the fear that these are fearful times. People are uh, just fearful and they need Christ. They need Christ. They need to be anchored in Christ, saved or unsaved. They need to come to know the Lord or if they're saved, they need to be anchored. They need to know who Christ is. I want us to know Christ. Number two, 
Is that I, don't, I don't want to just fill your head with information here. I want us to come away from this book. When we finish this book, I want you to have a deeper love for Christ. Not just be informed about Christ, but a love for Christ, a devotion to Christ, a, a commitment to Christ. Uh, and that should deepen, deepen, folks, deepen our worship of Christ. Our love for Christ should, should drive us to worship Christ in a richer, fuller sense. And then number three, I want it to anchor us. Because here's the tendency, the tendency, especially in difficult days that, that we, as the church, probably going into, maybe even in times of persecution, that, that we become anchored in Christ. And, and we become like Paul in Romans chapter 1 who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We become anchored so that we will go out and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And this book, I think, will help us to do that. We will know who Christ is, what He has done for us. And the church need this, needs this message today. We're called, folks, to exalt Christ. We're called to preach Christ. We're called to live out Christ. We're called to follow Christ, model Christ. We're called to worship Christ. We're called to love Christ. And folks, it's, it's hard to love Christ when we don't know Him. We don't know Him. And obviously, if you have not known Christ, if you have not come to know Christ, there's a, there's a problem. And I, I suspect the majority here know Christ. In a superficial way, at least. But do you know Christ? Do you know what He's done? Have you thought through the implications of your redemption? Well, the book of Hebrews is going to help us Think through those things. And I, I hope you're in attendance. I hope you come prepared, having read through this book, ready to, ready to learn because it just exalts Christ. And that's what we need. And this day, we need to exalt Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for um, your word. I thank you, Lord, for uh, just allowing us to just think through this introduction today of the book of Hebrews and prepare ourselves. Lord, may we know Christ. May we have a fresh look at Christ and, and our eyes be opened and our understanding be enriched by looking at these things. And Lord, may we definitely no one walk away here not knowing Christ. Because God, you are a you are a God of wrath. You are a good God, but you are a God of wrath. And Lord, help us to deal with our sin. And the only way to do that is come through Christ. We live in a world that needs Christ. Lord, I pray that we would, that we would know Christ. We would exalt Christ in our life. That we would preach Christ through a a world that needs Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.